We're ready to get started. How y'all doing this evening? All right. Yes, it is in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. Uh, Bible study. I'm going to share mine on my Facebook page, but while we do that, tonight we're going to be in the uh, 16th chapter of 15th, you're right, 15th chapter of the book of Judges. And this, we're going to look at um, the story of Samson and Delilah, one of the most famous uh, stories in the Bible, and I think also um, misunderstood and misinterpreted, and also, um, you know, missing the big picture of what this story is about, but we're going to uh, hopefully look at it biblically and see what the Lord um, will have us to learn from this passage uh, tonight. So, Samson against the Philistines. So, let's uh, pray and go. Let's go for the Lord and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. It is a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Uh, bless our time in Bible study. Tonight, Lord, as we continue to study your word uh, through this book of Judges. Lord, just be with us, strengthen us, and encourage us throughout this midweek service. And may we see Christ. May we see the gospel. May we, Lord, see you and learn more about you, your nature, and your character, your person, and your work. Lord, bless our time tonight in your word. In Christ's name, amen. So, again, this is Judges, the 15th chapter. And this is the, again, the famous chapter of uh, Samson defeating the Philistines. I'm sorry, chapter 16 is dealing with Samson and Delilah after he defeated uh, the Philistines. So, in this chapter, we see where Samson defeats the Philistines. And then chapter 16 is Samson and uh, Delilah. And so we see Samson defeating the Philistines here. So as we always do, we read in sections and see what the Lord has for us. So the first three verses here. It says, after a while, and again, as Remember when, we, when we're reading uh, Old, Testa Old Testament narrative, uh, nothing is done in real time. Um, you know, there's usually lots of years that pass by between uh, different events that take place. Uh, so it's not like after a day or a week unless the scripture says that. So after a while, we don't know how many years transpired between the end of chapter 14 and the beginning of, of chapter 15. We just know that it was a while later. So just keep that in mind. So it says, after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. He said, let me go in to my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. So this is kind of mysterious here. So the, the, the problem was 
was that remember Samson's wife was given to someone else if you look at the um, end of chapter 14 when Samson had killed uh, the 30 uh, men and that his wife had um, was given to his companion who was basically his best man verse 20 okay so apparently this was unbeknownst to Samson so now he finds out that his wife was given to his best man. Okay. So. Her father said. I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. So it's hard to know why Samson's father-in-law. Thought that Samson hated his wife. But this probably. I think it, you know. You could speculate here a little bit. Uh, that it was probably an excuse to explain why. He did what he did. By giving his daughter to. Uh, the best man. Uh, so, and, you know, maybe Delilah, I mean, not Delilah, his his wife, his Philistine wife had poisoned her father's mind concerning Sansom. And so he decided to do that. Perhaps that could have been, uh, you know, the case. Because look at chapter 14 and verse 16. It says, Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not explained to my father or my mother. So should I explain to you? Wow. So, you know, <laughs> perhaps she was upset by that. And she told her father about it. And he gave her to his best man because he, pro he probably didn't like the way his daughter was being treated. So Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless. So even though Samson was angry with his wife's father, the real root of the problem was the bad choices that Samson made. He shouldn't have married this Philistine woman in the first place. Okay, that's we talked about that last week about the consequences and everything. So he had to live uh, with that. You know, he had no business allowing himself to fall in love with an ungodly pagan woman in the first place. And you know, there's a scripture, Proverbs 4 and 23 says this, and this is, this is such a good principle to learn from uh, this situation here. He says, this is Solomon writing Proverbs 4 and 23. He says, keep your heart. And the word keep in Hebrew means to guard or protect. So when he says keep your heart, it means guard your heart. This is what Proverbs 4 and 23 says. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So what this means is that failure to guard our heart can result in great trouble. Samson didn't guard his heart when it came to uh, the wives that he chose. He chose a pagan wife. Okay. And that led to great trouble. So he says this time I shall be blameless. So God again uses Samson's ungodly anger for his purpose. We're going to keep that in mind. Now, this doesn't justify Samson's anger, but it shows the glory and power of God to use him for these purposes. Okay? So, it said that he will be blameless regarding the Philistines. So, if he destroys the Philistines, he won't be in trouble for it, in other words. Why? Because God is still going to use him despite his disobedience. Despite him marrying this pagan woman, God still had a purpose for him. So, verse 4 through 5. 
Samson strikes out against the Philistines. Remember, God. one of the reasons that God had chosen Samson was to defeat or go up against the Philistines. We must always keep that in mind. Okay? Looking back at chapter 14 and verse 4. Back to what the Lord said to his parents. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he wanted to marry this Philistine woman. That he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion of Israel. So God had chosen Samson to defeat the Philistines. So we have to keep that in mind. Despite Samson's choice of marrying this pagan woman. God still raised him up for this purpose. And again, as I said last week, and I say this week, God uses us sinners despite our sin. We're sinners. We're not worthy of God using us for anything. No one is. None of us. The Bible tells us there's none good, no, not one. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. So the fact that God chooses to use us to do things for his glory and in his name is a sheer act of God's grace and mercy because we do not deserve it at all. Period. End of story. So, verse 4 and 5, we see that Samson, verse 4 and 5, we see that Samson goes up and strikes the crops of the Philistines. So it says here, Samson went and caught 300 foxes and he took torches turned the fox's tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive grass. So Samson act like <laughs> he almost act like a little, uh, a little child here. He's going to uh, you know, take some foxes and tie them tail to tail. This was a uh, this is a pretty difficult task, but God used it to fight against the Philistines. So He put a torch between each pair of the of the tails. So um, God had used him to to do this. And he did this. Uh, we don't know if this took all day or one day or what. We just know that he did this. So he used it to burn their crops. Hey, remember, they lived in an agrarian society, meaning they lived from the ground. You know, they didn't have meat plants and all that stuff like we do not process meat and everything. They lived from the ground. They were an agrarian society. Think about agrarian. Think about uh, the root word for agriculture. So they lived in the agricultural society so for crops to be burned was a huge thing that was basically a way of starving them because they live from the fruit of their crops from the harvest of their crops so this was a big blow against these Philistines for him to burn those crops so what did the Philistines do in return verse 6 and 7 then the Philistines said who has done this and they answered Samson the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. 
Man, that's how wicked they were, right? This is not something God's people would have done. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. So the Philistines, their way of retaliating, uh, he burned their crops. They're going to turn around and burn his wife and her father, his father-in-law. That's very, that, that's not equal, that's not applying equal punishment for retaliation. And this is a good point about retaliation. First of all, vengeance belongs to God. That's the first thing. We leave it to God to take vengeance on our enemies or people who have harmed us. Many times when people seek vengeance, they seek to do more harm to the person than the person did to them. That's not a fair way of exacting vengeance. God is the only person. He is the only one who is just when he strikes out against the enemies of his people and his enemies. God is the only one who does it righteously. He's the only one who does it fairly, so to speak. We don't because we're sinners and we're going to do it in sinful ways. And you have to remember the Philistines, they were pagans, so they were used to burning and sacrificing uh, people. That wasn't a thing for them. This is not something that Israel did. This is not something that the Hebrews did. Hebrews didn't go around burning people, burning bodies of people. That's not something that um, Israel, you know, the Israelites did. That was something the pagans did. That's what distinguished the, the pagans from the believers, the uh, pagans from the Israelites. That Israelites didn't burn bodies like that. But these pagans did that. They burned this man's wife and her father, his father-in-law. We as Christians, we value the body. We don't desecrate bodies like that. Destroy and mutilate bodies. This, that's what pagans do. That's what unbelievers do. And we see that in this case with these Philistines. Now, you know, God used all this to advance his plan for Israel and redemption. But again, because of Samson's disobedience, this is another consequence of it. It came with a great personal cost. Had Samson never married this woman, she most likely wouldn't, wouldn't have had this end to her life. We talk again about the... And the thing about the consequences of sin is this. We can't control the outcome. Many people, when they commit sin and they, 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 they do it, okay, I'm going to do this because I'm expecting this outcome or, or this consequence. Like a, a person who commits adultery. And they say, man, my wife's not going to find out. Or my husband's not going to find out. But there are going to be consequences to that. That they, not, that they don't even know about. People think that they think they can get away with certain things. And they say, oh, the consequence is not going to be that bad. How do we know that? That's actually pride. That's the sin of pride. You're, you're putting the Lord to the test by thinking in your heart that you can get away with certain things. So... Samson, he married this pagan woman, and then now guess what? As one of the consequences. I mean, he didn't know what was going to happen. I'm sure he didn't know that his wife was going to be burned and his father-in-law was going to be burned. If, if, he, if he could foresee that, I'm sure he wouldn't have married this lady. 
But as a consequence of that disobedience to God, it came at a great personal cost. It is fair to suppose that if Samson was obedient, God would have furthered his plan in a way that blessed Samson instead of a way that would hurt him. Because I'm sure he loved his wife. So what does he say he's going to do? I will surely take vengeance on you. And after that, I will cease. Again, this is the bitter story of retaliation. Trying to avenge wrongs done to us. Now, the thing about retaliation is it is a never ending story. And it's one where no one ever wins in the end. No one wins in the retaliation battle. Those who trust in the Lord, those of us who are believers, we must be able to say in our hearts that retaliation belongs to God. That we let God settle the score. You know who is the greatest example of that? Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Peter and I'll show you. Christ gives us the ultimate way in which to live and deal with uh, our enemies. So we turn to 1 Peter. I was reading this to someone this past uh, Sunday. First Peter 2, look at uh, verse... 21 and this is in the context of suffering I mean I can go all the way back to the 18th chapter but I'll just kind of pick up right here I right, look at verse 21 first Peter 2 and 21 look at that in the context of retaliation like how is this how is a Christian to respond to wrongdoing? Look at what 1 Peter 2 says, beginning at verse 21. For to this you were called, I mean, we were called to suffer, to take it patiently, because it's commendable for God. That's verse 20. But verse 21 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also did what? Suffered. We can never say that we, sometimes, we can, we can sound as if our suffering was greater than God's, than Christ's suffering. Sometimes people sound like that. But Christ suffered for us. Look at what the scripture says. Leaving us a what? Example. That you should follow his steps. And what were his steps? Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So when Christ was suffering... He did not, he left us a good example that we should follow ourselves. He didn't sin with his mouth. Okay, he didn't commit any sin. But look at what the scripture says, verse 22. Who when he was reviled, reviled means insulted. When he was reviled, he did not do what? Revile in return. He didn't exchange insult for insult. Remember at Christ, when Christ was being mocked on the day, the, night, the day before his crucifixion, when he was being mocked, 
he did not retaliate. The Bible says that he said never a word. When he went to trial, never a word. When he was being accused of all these things, he did not utter a word. He did not retaliate. And Peter is talking about this as an example for us. It continues in verse 23. When he suffered, he did not what? Threaten. Christ did not threaten when he suffered, when he was being punched in the mouth, when he was having his beard plucked out. He did not retaliate. He did not retaliate. When he was being spat on, he did not retaliate. But what did Peter say he did? Verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 23. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who did Christ commit himself to? God. Because God is the one who does what? Judges righteously. And what did Peter say again back in verse 21? Leaving us an example. So what does this mean to us? When we suffer, when we're insulted when we're ridiculed when we are done wrong we entrust the situation to who god because it is god who judges righteously we don't judge righteously we judge out of our emotions we judge on what the person did to us and we want to get them back we want them to feel our pain we hold grudges Instead of entrusting them to God and Samson want to retaliate, those who trust in God must say that retaliation belongs to him just as Christ did. Much of the war, much of the disaster, much of the deep-seated hatred and pain in our world and people come from the instinct to retaliate. But Jesus told us not to retaliate in eye for an eye, but to take control of the situation by giving even more. He said this in Matthew 5, verses 30 through 42. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye or a two for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Now, this doesn't mean that you be a doormat. That's not what Christ means. But there's a greater principle that he's pointing to. This doesn't mean that you just let people just run over you. That's not what he means. Some people say, I, I ain't going to be no pushover. That's not what Jesus, he's not saying be a pushover. Because if you say that, you're saying that Jesus was a pushover when he was being crucified. But he wasn't. It's a greater point, a greater purpose to not retaliate. It's not about being a pushover. He says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you, and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compares you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So what is Christ saying? We have to look at the ultimate principle, and that is not to retaliate. Because retaliation does no good. No one benefits from that. No one wins when you retaliate. People think, oh, you know, the world has a saying called uh, revenge is sweet. 
You hear the world say that sweet revenge. That revenge is sweet. No, it's not. Revenge, when a person has a vengeful heart, it leads to bitterness. They're always angry. You got people that I, I thank God that I am not like this. Holding grudges. Look, you know, being honest, I've had a lot of people who've hurt me in my life. I've been wronged in a lot of ways. I have. I, but I don't go around holding grudges against people. Why? It's going to make me angry. I know people who hold grudges and they just as angry and just as mean and evil as they want to be. Why? Because they're going around holding grudges against people who have moved on with their life. But all this comes from that, 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 that re retaliation, wishing. You, you can secretly wish harm on those people. You may, not, you may not utter it out loud, but if you hear something bad that happened in them and you're saying your heart, that's what they get because they did me wrong. That's a sin. But you got people who think that way. Someone who's done them wrong or done a loved one wrong uh, of theirs and, 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 and you hear about something happened to that person, they'll say karma, <laughs> which is not biblical. They'll say karma or they'll say that's what they get or they'll say, you know, that's what they get for doing that to me. You know how sinful that is? Because biblically, Christ got what he got because of what we did to him. Christ was crucified because of our sins. So we have no right to say a person got what they deserve because of what they did to us. When Christ got something that he did not deserve because of us. That's how we have to look at that thing. Retaliation is a sin. The, the, the desire for harm to someone who's done something to us is a sin. Jesus said, even if you think evil of your brother, you have murdered him in your heart. He said that in Matthew, the fifth chapter. If you think harm on someone, that is akin to murder. All of us haven't done wrong. But you know, the, the other thing about it is we've done people wrong too. I, I'm sure I've done people wrong. I'm not perfect. There are probably some people that I've done wrong that I had no idea that they'd done me wrong. Just like people have done me wrong and not even known that they have. Now, there's some who probably did it deliberately, but most of the time that's not the case. I'm sure there are people who have wronged us who have no idea that they have. Not every single person that has wronged us know that they have. But we probably wronged people. But, you know, we all think that we're good people. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, don't we? All of us do. I, get, I think I'm a nice person. But I can't say in my heart that I've never wronged anybody because how would I know? I don't have empirical wisdom like that only God does. There are probably people holding grudges against me and I'm wondering, I mean, I don't know it, <laughs> but well, you know, what, what have I done to them? See how that works. So we can't have a heart of vengeance and retaliation. That is what's wrong with a lot of people in this world. Deep-seated hatred. A lot of pain that they're enduring. Why? Because they, they have people who've hurt them. And they've hurt people. 
and they have a heart of vengeance. But when we do this, we act like God. Who didn't retaliate against man for his sin and his rebellion. But what did God do instead? He gave his only son. If God, God had every right to be vengeful against man. Because we're sinners. But instead of taking our vengeance on us, what did he do? He sent his son. And crushed his son because of our sin. God could have easily snapped his finger and said, I'm tired of man. But instead, he did what? He sent his son. So you see why it's wrong to take vengeance? It's not biblical. It's not godly. We're not being like God. So, with that being said, verse 8, Samson repays the Philistines. So, he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. So when it says hip and thigh, that's an expression of cruel uh, slaughter where he didn't spare anything. He was a one-man army against Philistine. He just he would just he was on a tear. I mean, he just exacted his vengeance against these people. So he slays 1,000 Philistines in this next section. So, now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson. To do to him as he has done to us. See, it's a cycle. They killed his wife. He killed uh, their men. And now they don't want to do what? Kill him again. It's, it's just a cycle. Just a cycle. Then 3,000 3, men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you've done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. There you go. I did to them what they did to me, in other words. But what did they say to him? See, they, they were reasonable. The people of Judah, what did they say? We have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of Philistines. Because they don't want anything to do with this. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you would not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him saying, no, but... We will tie you secretly and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now, the Philistines, remember, they were under the rule of the Philistines, all, all, of, all of Israel was. So the fact that they, from the tribe of Judah, the fact that they gave up Samson to the Philistines meant that they were under the oppression of the Philistines. They would rather please their oppressors than to support their deliverer because Samson was their deliverer, but they, they didn't care about that. They would rather please their oppressors. That shows you how much uh, oppression they were under. 
that they gave him up to the enemy basically because they asked do you not know that the Philistines rule over us the Philistines should not rule over the people of God and that's what Samson was thinking about he did not want them to rule over us the, the, the tribe of Judah they were like don't you know they rule over us like like they were just kind of resigned to the fact that they were being ruled by the Philistines but Samson was like no this is not right so they bound him now Samson submitted to this. He, it, the scripture doesn't say that he fought about it. So Samson put himself in a difficult position by surrendering to the Philistines because they were ready to kill him. So <laughs> what happens? Verse 14 through 17. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mildly upon him. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him as we saw earlier in this in this uh, narrative where he killed uh he had the lions. Okay, the Spirit of the Lord had come upon him during that, during that time. So now the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him again. A second time. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burnt with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. He tied a fresh, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. I think now, now you know, donkeys have a big head. So the jawbone was probably about this long. Okay? But still, it's a jawbone. He didn't have like a sword or anything like that. He had a jawbone. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Why was he able to do this? Because the Spirit of the Lord was up upon him. And why was the Spirit of the Lord upon him? Because God had appointed him to do what? Kill the Philistines. Okay, remember, the Spirit of God used him to kill the Philistines. God had come upon him so that he could do that. So he killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called their place Ramoth Lehi. So Samson was basically a one-man army. All these times he slayed all these Philistines, he was just a one-man army. The other judges of Israel had armies against the enemies, but Samson fought alone. The Spirit of God was upon him to destroy these Philistines and it showed in all this power so Samson called this place Ramoth Lehi which means uh, essentially jawbone hill now one preacher came up with a sermon uh, on this uh, jawbone he likened it to the gospel he said it was a novel weapon. It was a most convenient weapon. It was a simple weapon. It was a ridiculous weapon. And it was a successful weapon. Because it was all those things. It was a very simple weapon. It, what was it? Just a jawbone. Something that simple. Isn't that something? A jawbone. So what does God do? God provides for him. We're looking at verses 18 through 20. Then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now 
Shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, he called uh, this name in Hakore, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So he's very thirsty. And this thirst reminded him of his weakness. Although he was a very great and powerful man, he slayed all these people. Guess what? He still needed water. He wasn't some superhuman. He needed water just like everybody else. He wasn't super. He needed water. He thirsted. He had a need after such a great victory. And in our Christian life, you know what? Even after great victories in our life, guess what? We still need to remember our mortality that we're just dust. We have to be reminded of that sometimes, right? Charles Spurgeon said this about this. He said, it is very useful for God's people when they have had some great deliverance to have some little trouble that is too much for them. He said, Samson played, slayed a thousand Philistines and piled them up in heaps and then he must needs die for want for a little water. So this great and mighty man who could rip apart, who ripped apart lions and slayed thousands of the enemies of God. Begged for something as simple as what? Water. That shows you our mortality. That we are still as great as we may seem as, as great of victories that we have sometimes in this life. God still reminds us that we're just flesh. That we're still thirsty. That we must still thirst for him. When God does great things for us, when, when God delivers us out of out of great things, guess what? He still reminds us that we need him. We always need God. We will always need God. So what did God do? God spit the hollow place that is in Lehi. And then water came out. God showed his faithfulness to Samson by supplying the needs of his servant. God does this for us. He is he is so faithful. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says with that simple minded faith. That was so characteristic of Samson. Who was nothing but a big child. <laughs> he turned his eye to his heavenly father. And said oh Jehovah. You have given me this great deliverance. And now shall I die for thirst. After all that you have done for me. Shall the uncircumcised rejoice over me. Because I die for one of a drink of water. And Spurgeon continues, such confidence had he that God would intervene on his behalf. We have to always remember to be of good courage as Christians. Always be of good courage. Why? Because the same God who made us, the same God who uses us, knows our frame he knows that we're just flesh 
He knows what we need before we ask. God knows we as Christians ought to be of good courage. Sometimes we will grow faint. Sometimes we will go grow weary. Just as Samson did after after defeating these Philistines. Guess what? He grew faint and weary. But who did he call on? He called on God. He called on Jehovah. The Bible says in verse 18 again that he did what? He cried unto who? The Lord. When we experience our greatest neediness, we should call upon the Lord. We should not go to Facebook and look for fake sympathy from people. Like a lot of people do. No, we cry out to the Lord. We call to the Lord. Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, I need you. We show our dependence upon the Lord. And guess what? He is faithful. The answer just as he was faithful to Samson. So we see a lot of those lessons in this passage. May the Lord bless what we have heard tonight. Amen. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you. For your faithfulness to Samson, despite his sin. Despite, Lord, his rebellion, his disobedience, Lord, it shows us that you're faithful to us. Timothy tells us, 2 Timothy, Paul says, though you, we are faithless, you remain faithful, you cannot deny yourself. Lord, you can't deny who you are. You're always faithful. You're always righteous. You are always good. And, Lord, we're always faithless. We're always not trusting Lord, we're always not looking to you, but rather looking to ourselves and looking to people around us. We're always looking to flesh and not looking to our God. So, Lord, forgive us for those times we've done that. Lord, we've had hearts of vengeance and retaliation and holding grudges against people because they have wronged us, Lord. Instead of entrusting ourselves to you, following the example of Christ, Father, forgive us for having hearts that wish to retaliate against people who have hurt us. Lord, forgive us. Have mercy upon us. Father, thank you for your word. Bless us by your word. Help us to look to you in time of need. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.